today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. It's where Joshua called the people to forsake their idols and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. It all started at Shechem, at Sukkah. The people of Shechem had the promises of God longer than anyone else in the land. The people of Shechem had been waiting for the Messiah to come longer than anyone else in the land of Israel. As beautiful and transformative as Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well was, there's a deeper significance to this counter-cultural encounter that most of us have been taught. In today's message, Pastor Dan will explore the layers of meaning that this story holds. This spot was where God had first made His promise to bring a Savior for the children of Abraham. And this is where Jesus would make His clearest statement about who He was and what He came to do. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Genesis chapter 12 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Then Jacob feared for his life, and so he ran. He fled, and he leaves the country, and he went and he lived with his uncle Laban for 20 years. And while he was with his uncle Laban, he married Leah, and he married Rachel. And then the Lord told Jacob to return back to his homeland, return back to Canaan, which he did. But if you remember the story, we're in Genesis 33 and Genesis 32. As he's traveling back, to the land of Canaan, he becomes afraid. And there's one night where Jacob is alone and the Lord appears to him and the Lord wrestles with Jacob. Do you remember that story? They wrestle together. And it's at that point that the Lord God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. The name Israel means governed by God. And it's now at this point in Jacob's life, for the first time in his life, he's truly submitted to God. He's truly humbled by God. He's truly places himself under God's authority. And he's truly governed by God for the first time in his life. That's chapter 32. Then we come into chapter 33. Uh, Jacob, Israel, he enters into the promised land after just having this experience where he wrestles with the Lord. The Lord changes his name to Israel. He's now submitted to the Lord and under the authority of the Lord. He comes into the land of Canaan. And guess where he goes? Shechem. He goes to Shechem. He goes to Shechem. Look at Genesis 33, verse 18. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, where he came when he came from Padanaram. That's where he was living with Uncle Laban. And he pitched his tent before the city and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and he called it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. When Jacob returns home to Canaan, he goes to the place 
where his grandfather Abraham first met with God and where his grandfather Abraham first received the promises from God. And he he dwelt there in Shechem and he built an altar there just like his grandfather did. And he calls the altar God, the God of Israel. He's Israel. He says this is an altar to his God, Yahweh, that he builds there. It's the first time we see him build an altar. He does it there at Shechem, at Sukkar. Now, two more events for you. Uh, go to Joshua, Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8. So we've got two more events we're going to look at. Both of these involve Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter 8, this is after the children of Israel have entered into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. They conquered the city of Jericho. They conquered the city of Ai. And then Joshua gathers the whole nation together. Guess where? Shechem. Sukkar. He gathers the whole nation. They've just come into the land, the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham at Shechem. Joshua now gathers the whole nation together to the place where God promised Abraham that he would give give Abraham and his descendants the land. This is 600 years later. Isn't that amazing? 600 years before God made this promise to Abraham that he would give them the land and his descendants. And now Joshua is standing there with the nation of Israel. They've just entered the land. They haven't taken possession of it yet. They're, 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 on, they're on the cusp here of receiving the promise that God made to Abraham. And Joshua takes them to the place where that promise was made. He takes them to Shechem. Chapter 8, verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. Moses told the children of Israel to do this back in Deuteronomy 27. An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings which speak of total consecration to God, to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings, having peace with God. Jesus is our peace offering, right? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, look what he does. He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So Joshua gathers the whole nation together. They're in Shechem. He writes out the whole law on stone there. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Now look what it says. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal. Now, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, they're two mountains that are side by side. Right in between them, Shechem. And so half of the priests and Levites stand on one mountain, Mount Gerizim. The other half stand on Mount Ebal, the base of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel um, in verse 34. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones and the strangers 
who were living among them. He has all of the children of Israel gathered together in that valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which is Shechem. And he reads all the promises of God to them. What a scene. Now, go with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 8 is right as they enter into the promised land. They haven't really taken possession of anything. They've conquered two cities, Jericho and Ai. Jericho belonged to the Lord. Uh, They've got all of the land before them. They're on the cusp of the promises of God coming to pass, receiving the land. Now we come to Joshua 24, and it is Joshua's farewell speech to the nation of Israel. Now it's 25 years later, and they've conquered the land. They've inherited the promise. They possess the land. And look what it says in verse 1. Now Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to where? Shechem, Sukkar. And he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for the judges, and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua once again brings the whole nation together at Shechem, where they gathered together when they first entered the promised land, before they had possession of it. Now it's 25 years later. They have possession of the land. The promises that were made to Abraham at Shechem are now fulfilled. Joshua gathers them there at Shechem a second time. And look at verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, the Euphrates, in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him through all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. Joshua begins with Abraham. Because the promise was made to Abraham. And he starts rehearsing their history, beginning with Abraham. And in this passage, you should note how often... God says, I, I did this, I did that. It's all God's doing. God is the one who called Abraham. God's the one who brought him into uh, the land of Canaan. God is the one who multiplied his descendants. Verse 4 says, uh, to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Verse 5, also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. It's all the Lord's doing. Right? Isn't that true for you and me? Our, our salvation, it's all the Lord's doing. It's all the Lord's doing. We, we, only thing we contributed to it was our sin, our need for a Savior. But then everything else is the Lord. And he goes through this whole thing. In verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. Uh, verse 6, then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen. He goes through this whole thing, their whole history, down in verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. God fulfilled his promise that he made to Abraham at that very spot in Shechem. He has given them the land. Now, therefore, verse 14, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. 
But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. Look at verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we, were, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said that at Shechem, at Sukkar calling the people to forsake their idols and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. So Shechem, Sukkar, is where God first appeared to Abraham. It's where the promises were first made to Abraham. It's where the law of God was first proclaimed in the land by Joshua. And 25 years later, Joshua stood before the people and declared God's faithfulness to his promises. It's where Joshua called the people to forsake their idols and to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. It all started at Shechem, at Sukkar. The people of Shechem had the promises of God longer than anyone else in the land. The people of Shechem had been waiting for the Messiah to come longer than anyone else in the land of Israel. That's why Jesus had to go there, right? Of course he's got to go there. That's why he's got to go. He's got to go to Shechem. He's got to go to Sukkar. You know, it's in, it's in Sukkar. If you go back to John chapter 4. Go back to John chapter 4. It's in Sukkar, it's in Shechem, that Jesus makes his clearest statement that he is the Messiah. Down in verse 25 and 26. In all of the Gospels, this is where he makes his clearest declaration that he's the Messiah. Of course he does. He's at Shechem. He's at Sukkar. That's the perfect place to declare that you're the Messiah. So that's why he's got to go. That's why he's got to go to Sukkar. Now, John chapter 4. Let me just give you a little bit of background information about the Samaritans. So you understand here uh, this exchange that takes place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans had a bitter animosity uh, towards each other that went back 700 years. So they've got 700 years of hatred, 700 years of, of, of uh, racial tension between these two, these two groups. Uh, just real quickly, if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom turned to idolatry. And God was upset with that, of course. And so God allowed the Assyrian Empire to come in and conquer the northern kingdom. And the Assyrians, what they would do is when they would conquer a nation, they would remove the best and the brightest from that nation and remove them from their homeland and put them somewhere else in the empire. 
And then they would bring people from somewhere else in the empire and plant them back in that nation that they've conquered. So they just kind of mixed everything up. The reason they did that was so that people would lose their national identity uh, to undermine nationalism. So he would remove people from their homeland. They would remove people from their homeland and put them just somewhere else in the empire. Uh, he does that. And we read about that in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 17. You can read it on your own. We don't really have time to go there. But uh, you read where the Assyrians removed uh, the, the children of Israel out of the northern kingdom, out of Samaria, and then brought in these people, these pagans, from other nations and put them and planted them in Samaria. And what would happen is that the, uh, these foreigners would intermarry with the Jews that were left in, in Samaria, and they would bring their uh, pagan idol worship with them, and this group called the Samaritans formed. Uh, And the Samaritans, they were a mixed race of people. uh, But more importantly, they were uh, they they mixed their worship of God with idolatry. And so they had like a form of Judaism, but they incorporated pagan practices along with it. The Jews that were down in the south, down in Jerusalem, they rejected the Samaritans. They didn't see the Samaritans as, as Jews. They saw them as Gentiles. They saw them as pagans, as idol worshipers. Uh, they wouldn't allow the Samaritans to worship at their temple in Jerusalem. Uh, when the children of Israel come back from the captivity in Babylon and they're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, uh, there's a group of Samaritans in Ezra chapter 4 that come down and they want to help rebuild the temple. They say, hey, we worship this God too. We want to help you rebuild it. Sanballat and Tobiah, right? They're Samaritans. And the, and the children of Israel, the Jews in Jerusalem, say, well, we don't want your help. You can't help us because you don't worship the same God as we do. And the Samaritans are, are offended by this. And they're so offended by this. Listen to what they do. They take the law of Moses and they remove all of the references to Jerusalem. And they replace it with Gerizim, their mountain, and Samaria. And so in Genesis 22, where it talks about how Abraham took Isaac up on Mount Moriah to make a sacrifice. In the Samaritan Bible, it says they took uh, Abraham took Isaac up Mount Gerizim. So they just erased the references to Jerusalem, replaced it with Gerizim, their mountain. And uh, and not only that, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And it looked exactly like the temple in Jerusalem. And so you have these these uh, rival temples, these rival worship centers where you've got the Jews saying, no, we've got the true place of worship. And you've got the Samaritans saying, no, we've got the true place of worship here on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews were so angry about this that they sent a posse up to Samaria and destroyed the temple in Samaria. You guys with me? Am I boring you with this history lesson? After they destroyed their temple in Samaria, The Samaritans never forgot that, and they were bitter about that. They were angry about that. And so out of revenge, a group of Samaritans go down to Jerusalem and go into the temple in Jerusalem at night and dump human remains that they had dug up from tombs. They dump human remains in the temple in Jerusalem and defile the temple right before Passover is about to start. And so now the temple's unclean. The Jews can't celebrate Passover. Uh, So... 
needless to say, there's all kinds of hatred and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that goes back 700 years uh, before Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman. They don't like each other. This woman even says in verse 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We don't get along. We don't like each other. We hate each other. Uh, We see elsewhere in the Gospel of John where the, the religious leaders call Jesus a Samaritan. They use it as a racial slur against him. That's how hated the Samaritans were by the Jews. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And by the way, there's, there's still Samaritans living today. Uh, there's about six or 700 Samaritans that still live on Mount Gerizim. Now, we've got to quickly go through this. Look at John chapter 4. Look at verse uh, 5 again. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sukkar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's about noon. Uh, Jesus is traveling from Judea. He's heading back up to Galilee. He's passing through Samaria, and he's not traveling in an air-conditioned bus. He's walking, right? And it's hot, and it's a long walk. And Jesus is tired. He's wearied from the journey. And so he sits to rest there at this this well. So we see Jesus now sitting at that well. You know, John's gospel emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ, but, but we also see here that not only was Jesus fully God, he was fully man. And as a man, he was wearied from this long journey. In verse 7 now, we see this woman of Samaria come to draw water from this well. So she's coming now. She's coming at noon, and she's coming alone. Typically, women drew water early in the morning and in the evening during the cool of the day and they usually did it in in groups so they could help each other with the water so they they wouldn't do it in the hottest part of the day and they wouldn't do it alone they would do it in a group kind of like how women today go to the bathroom in groups back then uh, they went to a well in groups he asked me how I know and I say brings true Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith, to set aside personal agendas, and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. 
Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth.